Donna and I had great fun two Sundays ago watching the Super Bowl. We decided we would root for opposing teams just to add to the drama of a game that had lots of surprises in it. And as I was watching the game, I started thinking, what does it take to get to the Super Bowl? It takes talent. It takes a lot of hard work. Those things are obvious. But it occurred to me that it probably, for most of these men, starts as a dream. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of hoping, and a lot of work to get to the Super Bowl. But some of them probably started to dream about playing in the Super Bowl when they were very young. Maybe they first set their sights on the Super Bowl while they were still in elementary school. Twenty-two years ago, Donna and I began to dream, to think, and to plan for a church that would impact hearts and lives of families and individuals right here in Fishers. We did our research into the potential of a massive telephone campaign that would, in the end, result in a church. I spent a lot of sleepless nights dreaming and planning and thinking and strategizing and praying, lots and lots of praying. And God has answered our prayers. And now there is a church that continues to affect lives right here in Fishers. Donna and I are so excited about what God has in store for you. I've had the opportunity to listen to Ben's sermons by audio. I've had the opportunity to talk to your elders about him, and we're very confident that he's going to be a capable leader to lead this church into the next stage of her growth and development. We feel very, very good about that. We're excited for you about that. My main concern is trying to find somebody to feed me on Sunday afternoons Motivational speakers travel around the country and they write books and they follow one major theme. And you've heard this before. If the mind can believe it, the person can achieve it. The motivational speakers will tell you that it begins with an idea. It begins with a dream. It begins with a thought. And if you can believe in that dream, if you can believe in that idea, you can make it come true. It boils down to this. Good thoughts and good attitudes bring about good results. Bad thoughts and bad attitudes bring about bad results. Now, those things aren't new to you, are they? They're the usual pattern and fluff of the positive thinkers. And we have all ground our teeth. And we've all more forced to smile when somebody has come along and said, well, keep a happy thought. I promise you this morning that what I have to offer you is more than positive thinking. However, you may be surprised to learn that the Bible encourages us. It teaches us to do that. Now, the Bible is not trite. Nowhere in the word of God will you find, don't worry, be happy. However, God does give us promises. He does not promise that if we keep a thought 
a good thought, everything will be fine. However, we're going to discover this morning that we can control our thought patterns. Our thoughts do not determine circumstances. However, our thoughts do determine our actions, our words, our behavior, our responses, and our habits. So I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're working through the book of Colossians in a series titled, More Than Me, Living in a Selfish Society. So very often, living in this selfish society, we tend to focus on me and what I need and how I can help myself. The central message of the text that we are going to share this morning is to get your mind off yourself and to set your sights higher. So let me read to you from Colossians 3, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 10. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. As a result of a conspiracy among the leaders, the religious leaders of the Jewish people, Jesus of Nazareth was convicted in a mock trial sentenced to death by a corrupt political Roman politician and crucified on a cross. Three days later, this same Jesus conquered death. They had laid him in a tomb carved out of the rock in a hillside. A huge stone was rolled over the opening to that tomb, but Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. A short time after that, He returned to his home in heaven. He took the place of highest honor, sitting today at the right hand of God the Father. In my full-time job, I encounter people in a number of different churches. And I have this past week been in several Catholic church buildings. And they're all worked up. They're all concerned about the Sada Vacante. That is Latin for the chair or the seat that will be vacant when Pope Benedict steps down as Pope later this month. Personally, I'm not too worked up about it. 
The seat that really matters is the three, the seat on which the God of heaven and earth is seated. Our Savior is right there sitting by His right hand. And that seat will never be seda vacante. It will never be empty. Our God reigns eternally. The message of the passage that we just read is this. Focus your attention on things above. Please notice the instructions in the first two sentences of the passage that I read for you. The phrase, well, first of all, first, in the first two sentences, we find set your hearts on things above. Then after that, set your minds on things above. The phrase set your hearts has to do with our, our affections. What do you love? What do you crave? What do you desire about what do you dream? What is it you've got your heart set on? The second instruction that we are given is in the second sentence. And it says, set your minds on things above. In this statement, there's a contrast to the earthly things. Earthly things could be defined as that which is tangible, what you can touch, the things that are physical. May I be personal with you for a moment? May I ask a very personal question? Where are your heart and mind set? What is it that you really care about? Now, I want to suggest that we could find two very good indicators of that. We could look at your checkbook. And in fact, I would encourage you to go home this afternoon and get out your checkbook and look down through your checkbook. And really do a a careful evaluation of what you care about. About what is important to you. Because our money is valuable to us. It's important to us. And we will only invest it in that which is important to us. The second indicator would be your calendar. Get out your checkbook. Get out your calendar. And for some of us, the calendar is even more telling Because for some of us, our time is even more precious to us than our money. We never have enough of either, do we? Never enough money. Never enough time. Time and money matter to us. And so if we track where we're spending our money, and if we track where we spend our time, we will learn what is really important to us. The writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, was writing to Christians in Colossae and he told them to set their hearts on things above. He described the things above as the place where Jesus is seated next to the right hand of God the Father who is on his throne. What he's telling us is give your love, your attention, your focus to that which is eternal. I want to challenge you this morning to begin developing the habit of turning your attention away from the things that are, at, that are temporary and focus on that which is eternal. I would encourage you to think back over the past week. Examine the things that caused you anxiety. What was it that got you worried? 
What was it that had you frightened? I would venture to guess that frequently the cause of your concern was something that will not last. Now, I know there are exceptions. I know there are some of you that are dealing with things that are very long term. Some of them will have eternal consequences. But most of what occupies our attention is only of short term value. Taking our attention away from ourselves is one effective way to find the real happiness that God intends for us. When we focus our thoughts on God and His power to bring meaningful change to our lives, then we will have found the source of happiness. After we are reminded of the necessity to change our hearts and minds, we are instructed to change our actions. Now, the order of this is very significant. We're told first to change our hearts. Be careful about what you love. Number two, change what you think about. Be careful about the focus of your attention. And then you will find the change in your actions. God has always been more interested in our hearts than he has been in our hands. Frequently, people think that Christianity is about going to church, being nice to people, telling the truth, and not kicking the family dog. But that's not what Christianity is. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus Christ. It is having a change of heart. A follower of Jesus seeks to be like Jesus. A Christian cares about the needs of others more than he or she does his own self Because that was the pattern that Jesus gave us. Being Christ-like means having a heart that is molded and shaped by the Holy Spirit. When our hearts and minds are changed, there will be a dramatic change in our actions. It doesn't work the other way around. And you've probably tried it. I know I have. I've tried to change my actions hoping that my heart would follow. We're not designed that way. We have all known people who attend church, people who do a whole lot of the right things, and yet they had a cold, selfish heart. And we turn away from that. We say, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it. Genuine Christianity is experienced when we turn our hearts And our minds over to Jesus Christ. When we do that, there is genuine change in our actions and our attitudes. Now, there's no need to deceive ourselves into thinking that any of this is going to come easily. Change doesn't happen easily. For example, one well-balanced meal is not going to make up for all the junk food you've consumed. 30 minutes on the Stairmaster is not going to give you the physique of an Olympian athlete. By the way, that reminds me of a story about an older man who was in at the gym. And while he was working out, he noticed a very attractive young woman. So he went over to one of the personal trainers and he said, What machine do you think I should use to get her attention? The trainer looked at the woman, looked the old man up and down. He said, I'd recommend the ATM machine in the lobby. 
the changes that really matter, the goals that are really important do not come easily. When I was in high school, I had the privilege of being part of one of the most successful cross-country teams in the state of Indiana. And one of the reasons that we were so successful is that our coach frequently put us through anaerobic workouts. Now, I hear people talk about their their, uh, their aerobics instructor and how difficult their aerobics instructor is. When I was in high school, we thought aerobics were for sissies. We did anaerobic workouts. Here's what an anaerobic workout is. The muscle tissue is pushed so hard that the blood doesn't have the opportunity to put oxygen back into the muscle tissue as fast as it's being consumed. That's the technical version of it. This is what coach told us. Coach told us it will make you stronger. This is what I'm telling you. It made us hurt. A lot of pain associated with an anaerobic workout. Like athletic training, spiritual training, training the heart and the mind does not come easy. It takes time. It is strenuous. Spiritual aerobics is training our hearts and our minds. And that is not an easy process. But it is a valuable investment. Listen to what the Word of God says about that from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, the next time you're thinking, should I get off the couch and get some exercise? The answer is yes. God tells you to do that. God says right here in his word, physical exercise is valuable. But more importantly, training your heart and your mind are even more essential. Here's another one of the continuing examples of God's love for us. He tells us how to take care of ourselves right now and for all eternity. He tells us, get your exercise, but do a spiritual workout as well. There is the promise of eternity. At the same time, you're going to be happier in the here and now. The source of all this happiness and the power for real change is in Jesus Christ. In the very last sentence of the text that we read in verse 10, it says that when we become a Christian, we put on the new self. Now, if you want to know what the new self is like, Look at the old self that Paul lists here. All those bad characteristics, all those terrible behaviors, and just turn them inside out. And you'll discover what the new self is like. Notice that this list focuses on things which are physical. Things that are self-centered. Things that are temporary in nature. The new self that God creates within us, is not physical. It is spiritual. It's not self-centered, and its focus is on the things that are eternal. Now, I want to caution you that this new self is not something that we fabricate. It's not something that we make, that we do. Instead, it is what we are given. 
Let me take you to the book of Romans, to chapter 6 and verse 4, where we read, We were therefore buried with him, that is Christ, we were buried with Christ through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When is it we get this new life? What do we learn from this verse? It is given to us when we are baptized into Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. We don't achieve it. We don't work it up. When we are united with Christ, we are given a new life. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. And we learn from Romans 6 that we come into Christ. In baptism, we're united with Christ when we are baptized. So this new life is not something we create. It is something that is given to us. And God tells us that the real power for, for change comes from Him. In the early stages of developing this sermon, I wanted to give you maybe five things that you could do to release this wonderful new power of this new life into your life. But as I thought about it, I decided to settle for just one. One idea to share with you. And here it is. Make it a practice to be thankful for everything. When you are thankful, it shifts the focus of your attention. It changes the direction of your heart and mind. It puts a stop to our pride. It reminds us that we are not alone but that our God does care about us and He empowers us. Being thankful will bring about a change in your actions. It may make you smile. It may slow down your pulse rate just a little bit. It may even quiet your ulcer. Donna and I are leading a home Bible study for a church in Fort Wayne that started on the first Sunday in November. It's been a lot of fun doing that. When we were with Prairie View, we we led a lot of home Bible study groups. And over the years, there is something that we have done with those groups. We have closed those groups with a prayer. And very often, because there were always people in those groups that were brand new to faith in Jesus Christ, we would offer people an opportunity to offer a very simple prayer. And very often we close the meeting Inviting everyone to say a prayer of thanks. Just a sentence. Father in heaven, I thank you for... And then complete the sentence. And just make it that simple. And those have been some of the most blessed and most enjoyable and most powerful Bible studies. When we close it saying simply, God, I thank you So is it really such a big deal, what I think about? Well, shaping my thoughts, taking a careful inventory of what I think is important, is that really such a big deal? Well, I began this sermon with a sports illustration, and I want to wrap it up with one more sports illustration. It is mid-February 
in central Indiana. What does that mean? Above all, what does mid-February signal right here? Ah, race day is coming, right? Just a little over three months, and it will be time for the Indianapolis 500. Now, I don't know very much about racing, but I do know what will be the most crucial factor in this year's race. And it won't be the things the commentators and the newscasters talk about. They're going to be talking about the pit crew and the aerodynamics and the engines. None of those are the most crucial factor. The most crucial factor in any Indianapolis 500. That which separates the winner from the losers is concentration. A race car driver, especially when he's exceeding 230 miles an hour, needs intense concentration. His life and the life of the people around him depend on his concentration being intense every moment. Our lives are running faster and faster. Some of you are wondering how you're ever going to keep up. Even if you could go 230 miles an hour, you probably feel like you just couldn't keep up with your life. Don't overlook the importance of concentration. Keeping your heart focused on what really matters. Keeping your heart set on things above. Keeping your mind from wandering away to the trivial or even the destructive. Keep your mindset where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Would you like some help as you make those changes? As you're shifting your heart, as you're shifting the focus of what you really want, what you really desire? Would you like some help as you set your mind on things above? We want to aid you in doing that. Your elders are here this morning. They're good men and they're ready to sit down with you, share with you from God's word and show you how you can make that difference in your life. Are you ready to say, I tried living for myself. I tried doing it my way and it's not working. I'm ready to do it God's way. If you're ready to say that, find me. Or find one of your elders before you leave here today. I want to lead us in a prayer. Father in heaven, I I simply want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share from your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are drawn together by a love for your son Jesus. Thank you for your son, for his love, his mercy, his sacrifice. And thank you that you're on your chair, you're on your throne. Thank you that we can trust that it will never be vacated. You'll never lose your power. You'll never lose your love for us. 
You'll never waver in concentration. You won't be distracted. I'm grateful for that. And I thank you for the lives that you are changing. For the lives present here this morning that you're altering. For the hearts that you're mending. And for the behaviors that you are changing. And for the homes that you are strengthening. Thank you for working among us. And I offer this prayer. In the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen.